Tuesday, May 17th, and this is Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill, and joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Global Gains, Tim Hansen, from Hidden Gems, Andy Cross, and from Million Dollar Portfolio, Ron Gross. Guys, good to see you. Good to see you, Chris. We've got earnings from Walmart and HP, plus we will look again at the latest numbers around LinkedIn's upcoming IPO. But we will begin today with the big story making all the headlines, Dominique Strauss-Kahn, the head of the International Monetary Fund, who is in jail on charges of alleged sexual assault. Uh, Tim, obviously, the legal case is going to unfold in the coming days. But for investors who are looking at the IMF's role in Europe, what is the impact here? Well, I was surprised this morning. I woke up and, and, and turned on the television. Mohamed El Arian, who's the sort of the investing guru at PIMCO, the big bond shop in California, was on television saying that this chain of events has now increased the likelihood of a Greek default. And the reason being is that Dominique... Strauss-Kahn is some sort of cult of personality who had really worked hard to bring European politicians together to, to reach the settled negotiations to, to bail out Greece um, not too long ago. And Frankly, though, I just have trouble believing that. Um, the IMF is an arm of the United Nations and is arguably one of the most bureaucratic organizations in the world. Um, to give you just a sense, so there are about 2,500 employees. There's a 24-member board of governors that meets every year to decide strategy, and then an additional 24-member executive board that does day-to-day operations. I don't know how 24 executives <laughs> can all just figure out what time they can meet in the morning or afternoon to, 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 to actually make those decisions. And they won't fit in the Rikers Island <laughs> cell either. No. <laughs> Definitely not. So, uh, you know, I, I get that he's done a, a reasonable job reaching solutions, working as, as the head of the IMF over the past year, but there are more than enough technocrats and bureaucrats in that organization to step up in terms of fulfilling the, the day-to-day responsibilities. And ultimately, whether or not Europe gets bailed out or not, it's just going to depend on whether or not Europe decides it's a serious enough problem you know, to solve. All right. Moving on, Walmart's first quarter earnings rose 3%. But, Ron, uh, thing, things not looking so good here at home. Uh, eighth, It was the eighth straight decline in same-store sales for Walmarts here in the U.S. What's yeah, going on? That was uh, Well, we owned it, first of all, at a uh, million-dollar portfolio. And I was going to say, um, in reference to what you just said, it looked like the same press release <laughs> as it has every quarter for quite some Change time. Change the seven we to had, an eight. We had weakness in the U.S., eighth consecutive, as you said, uh, same-store sales weakness, eighth consecutive quarter, um, but strong international sales, in this case specifically Mexico, uh, China, and Chile. Uh, which I think Tim can probably shed some light on. Uh, the good news is I think is the U.S. is getting stronger. It's getting less weak, which is always a good thing as they kind of are revamping their merchandising strategy to get back to the Walmart of old, mm-hmm. uh, kind of getting back to basics. I think that's good. So I think if the international continues strong, U.S. firms up, you know, I think I think the stock looks good from here, and, and that's one of the you know the main reason we own it. Tim? Yeah, the thesis here is that this is a durable U.S. business um, with a real emerging markets growth kicker. And as Ron said, sales abroad were, were strong again this quarter. Um, they're showing great resonance in, in, in China and in some of the Latin American markets. Um, and they've also done some interesting things, actually uh, purchased a stake in a Chinese e-commerce company called called Ihadan, or Ihadian, which, you know, it's a very small bet for them, but it just is is... is representative of how they've chosen to go about investing in the rest of the world, which is a combination of, you know, Walmart operations with a lot of local partners in some cases, and then a lot of small bets that have limited downside for the company, given how much cash it creates, but a lot of upside if they work out well. And that just strikes me as a a really savvy way to go about doing things. 
And I think in 10, 15 years, we look back and, and, and Walmart's international sales are well more than 50% of its total sales, and the stock is going to be, is going to be higher from here. Are there uh, particular markets overseas that are, are sort of waiting to be tapped by Walmart? Because clearly, it, it's, as you indicated, they're depending on that kind of international growth. Well, the big ones for Walmart now that are, that are still on tap would be China, where they're a very small presence, and they actually just received regulatory approval to finish their acquisition of Trustmart, which is a local operator in the, in the market. Um, and they're going to you know, use that as another way to attract Chinese consumers to their business. They have very, not a lot of stores in, in China right now. India, where they have zero stores for some regulatory reasons, so that's certainly a market they'd love to get involved with. And then uh, continued improved execution in Brazil. Um, and then they've also been rumored to be making potential acquisitions in South Africa and Indonesia. So, you know, they're globally diversified, which is the right way to go about doing this. And, and like I said, I think they look back in a decade and, and are pretty pleased with what they did. Andy? You know, returning back home here, they have the marketing campaign that, that I've seen a couple times on TV, which is the, the price match it. So you bring in a coupon, tell them you found a product at a lower price. And it got me thinking, wow, if Walmart is getting underpriced by competitors, this tells me that there's a lot of competition in the marketplace that could be reflected in these uh, continually declining same-store sales. So even for a company the size of Walmart, it's tough out there. Ron? Yeah, I agree with that. Um, one thing I'm, I'm interested in keeping an eye on is their new smaller format stores, the Walmart Express. I think that's interesting. They should uh, have about 15 to 20 by the end of the year. They're doing some pilot uh, stores now, and that could be um, something that, that works for them down the road. Hewlett-Packard's second quarter earnings rose nearly 5%, but shares are down big today after the company reduced its outlook for the year and warned of weaker results in the current quarter. Uh, Andy, HP had scheduled an earnings conference call for Wednesday afternoon. Uh, they moved it up to late Monday. Why, why the change? Just mm, so strange. eager to share the news? Yeah. The, the real news isn't so much that they that they are forecasting weakness, although that is news, but the fact that, man, they got some leak problems over in Hewlett-Packard because um, they had scheduled to have the have the announcement, and they had to move it up because a memo leaked from the CEO talking about their earnings and their, their quarter being much more challenging than they expected. So, you know, Hewlett-Packard, which is one of the largest um, technology and largest, largest uh, computer makers out there, continues to see pressure. They saw it last quarter um, where they forecast weaker earnings. They forecasted uh, um, even though they, they hit about the guidance for this quarter, they forecasted uh, worse performance throughout the year, both on the top line and on the margin side. So there's not just um, operational um, challenges ahead of them in a, in a very tough market and a very competitive market, but they have some um, challenges there with keeping mouths shut on their uh, <laughs> executive office or someplace that um, they have to plug up. Ron? Yeah, one thing I appreciated in reading this leaked memo um, was a quote from the CEO. He said, we must watch every penny, no room for profitless revenue or discretionary expenditures. Um, strong words, um, tough words, but you know what? Very appropriate uh, when business is weak. And so, you know, you got to give him credit for, uh, you know, battening down the hatches. So you're, you're, it sounds like you're giving HP a little bit more of a plus for uh, the tone that the CEO is striking as opposed to uh, a minus for the fact that, uh, as Andy said, um, somebody at HP needs to keep their mouth shut. <laughs> I think that you have to. there's a plus and a minus here. Tim? Yeah. The hard thing for me is that in terms of the tech sector, uh, there are a lot of seemingly cheap tech stocks out in the market today. And, and for my money, it's just gotten really hard to start analyzing them because, as Andy said, it's a hugely competitive industry now with so many upstarts and mature giants with a lot of cash to deploy. And then you've also got these rapidly evolving 
technological standards. I was I was looking at Intel the other day just out of interest, and you know one of their big problems is that they they didn't see the tablet or the mobile phone coming, and so they didn't make chips to be used in these devices that had stricter battery requirements. You know, and the business has has, has really suffered as of all as a result of that lack of foresight, and there are more than enough competitors willing to take up the slack. So. That is the theme in the in the tech sector now, and it's it's really easy to see why a company like Hewlett Packard is struggling. Guys, it was just last week we were talking about LinkedIn's upcoming IPO. Uh, they were pricing the shares at uh, thirty two to thirty five dollars, giving the company a valuation of three billion. But that was last week. Uh, the business networking company is now saying that shares will be priced in the range of forty two to forty five dollars, giving the company a valuation of four point one billion. Ron Gross, that's that's a heck of a good week there. Wow, up 33% in value in one week. Nice. Um, so a month ago, I said I wouldn't touch this with a 10-foot pole. Last week, I said... Apparently, I was, no one's listening uh, to Last you. week, I said I was less negative but was, was, once I saw some financial information, but was still unlikely to, to be interested. Now I'm going back to uh, grabbing my 10-foot pole. I, I just don't see it at this point. Now, they are growing very rapidly, mm-hmm. and they could grow into this valuation, which appears to be something like 38 times cash flow from operations, um, and they do are uh, cash flow positive. Uh, interestingly, the prospectus says they will not be uh, profitable in 2011 based on generally accepted accounting principles, um, something for investors. Pesky gap. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> those pesky accounting rules, um, something certainly investors should be aware of. Um, so the growth is rapid, and that better continue. Otherwise, this valuation just doesn't make sense. Tim, what do you think? Well, I know I know someone who's very happy about the recent rise in, in, in LinkedIn's value, and that's a, a my friend Dominic in, in Shanghai, who is the founder of um, Ushi.cn, which is wait for it, the LinkedIn of China. <laughs> nice. So based on what you've seen happen with the YouTube of China, Yoku, the Facebook of China, <laughs> Renren, the Google of China, Baidu, the Amazon of China, Dang Dang. I mean, he just made himself a hefty amount of money also simply by that that reflexive principle. <laughs> Dominic, very happy in China. Very happy, ready to ready to. Take his company public, baby. Ron? Uh, as far as LinkedIn is concerned, let's also remember there are stockholders that are selling into this public offering. Never like to see that. Plus, the company has a fair amount of cash already. Um, whether they actually need to sell stock to the public for additional cash, to me, is is questionable. I never like to see companies go public unless they actually need cash to grow the business. So this is looking like an exit strategy, you're saying? I'm fearful of that. You know, it's interesting, though. Think We talked about that before because, I mean, you need a lot of capital to actually make innovation and grow your business. So, um, you know, certainly exit strategy potential, but probably need the cash to put to work to make their service better and to continue to grow their network. Well, I was going to say the scary thing for a lot of these companies is that I think a lot of them plan to use the cash for marketing. You know, marketing is one of the things you have to do to run a business, but unlike, you know, you know, investment in inventory or in hiring staff or those sorts of things, marketing, marketing dollars disappear relatively quickly. You know, either you get the RR or you don't, but you don't have an asset left over to try to get more value out of. So it is a it is a tough way to spend dollars if you're looking to spend a lot of them that way. I think we will know we've hit the big time when someone refers to their podcast as, yeah, this is the market foolery of China. Well, we, that, that would be huge. That would just be fair. Then we'd be worth billions. <laughs> um, speaking of social media companies, an, uh, an Israeli couple has been so inspired by Facebook that they have named their new baby girl like, saying the name, quote, has a nice international ring to it. Yes, little baby like. Um, Andy, you and your wife are expecting your first child. Yes. If you had to name your kid after a Facebook term, keeping in mind like is taken, 
Um, we'll, we'll go to the experienced fathers in the room first. Thank you. Ron and Tim. Um, you can go with uh, status, poke, complicated, or friend for Andy's child. What do you think? Uh, I'd, I'd be, be so concerned about the poor poke child um, that I don't, th- I don't think I could do that to the poor kid. So status seems to be something to, for him to live up to. I think that's nice. Yeah, you know, if you read Freakonomics, you know that you're you're dooming him after giving by giving him a status name to to insignificant status. But thanks, Ron. <laughs> sure, <laughs> <Better> <laughs> poke. Tim. What do you think? What were the choices again? A status poke, complicated or friend? Complicated. Complicated. It sounds like a, um, a Bronte novel. Complicated cross <laughs> is, 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 nice. is, the, is the hero or heroine of the novel. Andy, what the do you writer think? in the group right there. <laughs> Andy, what do you think? Well, I guess I'm going friend. I think friends a friend cross. Perfect. Great. I, I, yeah, I definitely think if you go with poke cross, you're just setting your kid up for a <laughs> lifetime of butt kickings on the playground. <laughs> exactly. Didn't stop those folks in Israel. Yeah, exactly. All right. Andy Cross, Tim Hansen, Ron Gross. Guys, thanks for being here. Thanks, Thank Chris. You. Thanks, Chris. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about. And The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Did you notice how I said Chile instead of just Chile? I know. You nailed it. Nice. You're working on your accents. Are you working on your accents?